Well, hello, my friends who listen to futureprimitive.org. I am here with Meg Morrow and Bradford Harding, MD. They spoke yesterday here at Bioneers by the Bay in a um, classroom workshop about the radiation risks of wireless convenience. And uh, many of you will remember when I interviewed the filmmaker who did Full Signal, the movie. And so we are going to speak about electromagnetic and radio frequency, but not just about that. So my first question to you is, what do you think and feel and see that this electromagnetic world is doing to us? What we see uh, in ourselves and also in people is uh, an impairment, a dulling of our ability to sense what's around us and an alteration in the way we respond to things in the way we respond to our own feelings and in the way we uh, respond to our own thoughts. Uh, it is all sort of altered to a degree, not disabled, but altered to a degree that makes us less of who we know we were and are. Well, well speaking personally from... Um we're about 12 months now in uh, moving from our center uh, in Connecticut where a cell tower was placed 900 feet from our facility. Six months later, we began to feel symptomatic. And we, it took us a bit to piece this together. I started to not feel well. My husband was not feeling well. But we were very dismissive and thinking that we're working too hard, we were not resting enough, you start going through the list of life, busy personally, busy professionally. And a number of months went by and I started to notice um, the first biggest symptom was a cognitive difference where I could remember past experiences, but I could not place it in real time. Meaning, did it happen yesterday? Was it today? Was it last month? And I noticed this in my husband and that was the moment that we really discovered something's going on that's more than just us individually. And so we started to compare symptoms. We both had dizziness, we both had headaches, we had uh, inability to concentrate. Um, emotionally, uh, we were feeling a sense of overwhelm and anxiety, which is not um, a personality trait for us. Exactly. And it, we were, in, and as we my were husband, hyper reacting yes. to things that we would normally encounter and react to appropriately. It, it's as if the filters, the emotional filters, were um, taken away. 
And here we are at this conference in beautiful New Bedford. And uh, the way that we live now, we, we have low exposure. Um, we do not use devices, uh, wireless devices. Our pro professional life and environment is all hardwired and landlines. So after 12 months, our symptoms did recover, but we're still very sensitive and being here as presenters on this topic, which we need to go out in the world to begin to educate, we are starting to feel some of the symptoms and uh, listening to these amazing presenters, we're starting, we want to cry. So it's, it's the filters of the ability of managing our emotions start to break down. Exactly. So, I started to get inspired a number of times yesterday and I felt so good, but my body wanted to weep and just sob. sob. And it was an interesting thing to watch. I did not feel sad. I felt joyous and inspired. But the way my body was responding and was confused. And this took about, you know, 24 hours or so of this kind of exposure. Because we had been sensitized prior, it comes back quickly now. And we're familiar with the symptoms. And so what do we do? We, we leave the facility and we go outside and just take in the fresh air. And luckily, this is a beautiful sunny day. And we can, with, with a little less exposure, um, we're able to manage the symptoms. But they're very real. They're very, they can be very subtle, but they're very pervasive. And it's a continuum on who is feeling what. And of course, it's always a mix of personality, tendencies, and traits that will make somebody more anxious or more overwhelmed or heart palpitations or weeping. But really across the board in our practice mm -hmm. daily, we see people coming in saying, I don't know what's happening to me. I'm crying at absolutely everything. I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know what is going on. I have muscle spasms, right. heart palpitations. I can't breathe. We I can't listen. Sleep. Well, insomnia is another huge um, uh, issue. And we start to screen and we start to ask the questions what's different in your office? What's different in your home? And basically, everyone will say, well, six months ago, when this started to happen, a wireless router was placed underneath my desk, or we have uh, a, a, a cordless phone that was installed, or I got a new um, wireless device. Right. Um, uh, the, these, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't mention brands of, <laughs> of, of devices, uh, okay. But we, you know, we now have Pads. the tablets. Right. Yes, the tablets that um, basically are uh, huge amounts of of radiation um, that is every fifteen seconds as these wireless devices is searching for its modem, searching for the cell tower. It will give off at least. I would say three times. Three times what a tear on a cell tower would emit, as if you were standing right below it. The what comes out of the devices uh, generally, no one really realizes this. We didn't realize it until we measured, 
exceeds what comes out of a cell tower. FCC allowed. allowed. Yeah. And one of the points that we wanted to get across in um, in our lecture here. Um, during this incredible conference is that every time you use your cell phone or a wireless device, it is a, has a secondhand smoke effect. You are not only um, radiating uh, the radiation around yourself, but really for a several foot circumference, as well as distantly to the cell tower of where it will be connecting in order to receive or give, um, you know, your your phone message, your your your. Uh, texting your your photo so the ambient pollution has increased prior when we arrived early at this conference we have many types of meters and the one meter that we use before everybody was uh, gathering is measuring the ambient environment of the workshop space and we got one reading, and it was fairly high, but it was uh, a reading that would be one one of the antennae of a cell tower. Uh, and then as everybody was accumulating cell phones on, receiving, sending messages, the ambient environment went up four times the FCC's allowed emissions. Radiation. Radiation. Limit. So just to give people an idea, this is, this is the invisible realm that we can't see. There are people like my husband and myself who really seem to be the canaries. And we do feel this. It's very real. And this convenience of connection, constant connection, um, we're paying a price, not just humans, um, but all the other creatures that uh, we share this earth with. Right. Are being altered by the perpetuation of this radiation across uh, the population. And, um, you know, some people call this environmental disease, but it has, the, the, it has nothing to do with the real environment. That's right. So that that phrase bothers me because... It's a good point. It's a good point. These are artificially produced waves, uh, and they do carry a significant amount of radiation that is shown to be very detrimental to human and all forms of life, uh, breaking DNA, causing mutation... Uh, altering chemical structure and uh, changing the way life uh, evolves on the planet. Uh, this is a, a major effect. It has been called the largest experiment ever carried out. And there is no control group. It is just perpetuated all over the planet. Uh, and no one's paying attention to the effects of this. Well, it's a complicated topic um, among the science community, among governments, you know, politics, society, and the, it's a fierce debate. And most of um, the argument is based um, from 
uh, past, uh, what is the, the it's, well, ba- it's like in the 70s, which most of the research was done on the ionizing effects of radiation. So it's, it's the cell phones, wireless devices are non-ionizing. Right. What does that mean? It means, you know, basically in the 1970s, uh, it was well recognized that these waves had detrimental effect uh, to humans and other life on Earth. Um, But because it was classified as uh, non-ionizing, which means it was not actually able to break chemical bonds uh, like x-rays would, the type of radiation uh, was considered to be tolerable. The effects were considered to be uh, of a nature that humans could tolerate and recover from. Well, as time has gone on, we realized that uh, those assumptions were completely wrong. Uh, Non-ionizing radiation uh, does have detrimental effects and the, the next thing that happened is that they said, well, as long as it doesn't heat the tissue, as long as it doesn't make the side of your head cook like a microwave oven would be, and that's exactly what we're talking about here, microwave radiation, as long as it doesn't heat the tissue, it's okay. Uh, well, that assumption has been shown to be incorrect as well. Uh, not only does uh, a cell phone actually heat the side of the head, it doesn't even have to. It can shake the molecules and DNA apart in the brain and impair function. So a lot of the assumptions that uh, people uh, made you know, 30 years ago that allowed this technology to at least get a foothold in advance uh, are clearly shown to be inaccurate these days. But the infrastructure and the perpetuation of this uh, technology is already in place. Yes. And the FCC, um, following Congress, uh, and this is back in um, the 1990s, uh, basically, um, prior to this, local government, we did have the right to turn down the siting for uh, cell towers. And industry basically saw that, you know, they're not going to get very far with this. (laughs) Most towns are turning them down. That's right. So in 1996, uh, the um, the Telecom Act was enacted, which took away the rights um, of the local government and the rights for us for health and environmental issues. So, and that was all based on this obsolete, from our perspective, Research, which was done on thermal and non-thermal effects, heating and not heating. And so, you know, just to, to go back a little bit, microwave, microwave ovens, falls into the category of non-ionizing, so non-thermal. Well, we all know that a microwave heats your coffee, cooks your food, and so, you know, this, this research needs to be updated. There is so much that is out there, but it's, you know, industry is standing in the way. There's a lot of money involved. Right. When the uh, Telecom Act was passed in 1996, all 
funding for the uh, biological effects of this radiation was dropped. The U.S. simultaneously dropped the research and monitoring of this uh, technology and radiation at the same time as they took away the rights of individual citizens and local communities to say no to this in their town. Um, so it was a sort of a one-two uh, circumstance that has allowed it to just spread to the level that it has. Um, and at the same time, too, this is not just uh, industry perpetuating this. Uh, people want this. People love to play with their devices, thinking that they are connected to something, uh, even though it really is a virtual connection. Um, but it's the use, it's our behaviors that is driving this industry. And that's where we need to start. I have a big yes but. <laughs> and uh, my, my common sense uh, leads me to believe you and my other friends uh, who express that feeling of canary in the mine or the rose at the end of the vineyard. You know, in France, they uh, put a rose bush at the end of the vineyard, and if the rose becomes sick, then they know that uh, the vine will at a later point get sick. So my yes but is about the fact that a lot of us, for a lot of us, our livelihood, our money-making ability, like myself with my website, is based on these devices, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean that um, I'm not addicted to um, checking my email every hour. But the part that's valid is that part that we need this for our livelihood. Yeah. Well, yes, and, and the important part here, that's, it's a great point you make. You can use your devices. You can use this technology, but if you do it wisely and you know how it works and how far away you have to stay from it, and you don't keep things on 24 hours a day when you're only using them for an hour or two, you can reduce your exposure. If you understand it, you can reduce your exposure by over 90% and basically keep yourself out of trouble by doing a few simple things and making a few simple changes. It's not going away, and we can harness it uh, for the betterment of ourselves and livelihood but we need to understand it better and understand how to stay out of the, the risk category and the risk realm and the downside that comes along with it we've accepted it we've swallowed it and accepted it it has made our, its way into this world without the consideration 
of its wise use. Right. And that's individually, and if everybody individually could be very responsible and sensitive, then the ambient environment would not have the spikes by the constant connection of your single individual device to the cell tower. Because for those who live next to the cell tower, they have no control over that. And ourselves with living, um, uh, having our practice next to the cell tower, we could tell the spikes in our body with a certain dizziness that we would feel. And we would document this by our meters. So we could tell the active times of people driving home, being on their cell phones. So it's really individually, but it's it's globally. I mean, every this is all having an effect on us. If we gave up our cell phones, uh, we have them. We we don't have them on. We maybe check them twice a month. Uh, <laughs> we carry them when when we travel. We use them when we need to. And but still, we're exposed on the roadways because people are making calls from their cars. Everybody is walking down the street. And it's the very thing that we desire is connection. We want connection. And this is the question we need to ask ourselves. Are we really in some way disconnecting? What are we doing to the earth? What are we doing to the migrating birds? What are we doing to to our creatures in the ocean? With all of this technology, we do know it has been well documented, but the very connection, earth-based connection, face-to-face connection with one another, I much rather communicate eye-to-eye, face-to-face, and we are losing this. we, I just heard an interview, a man who just recently wrote a book, has started this 40-day fast. And this had nothing to do with you know, biological effects of, of these devices. It was more the addictive quality. Mm-hmm. Can you give it up? That's right. So the trend, 40-day fast, very Immediate biblical, fast. very biblical, uh-huh. and people saying... You know, it really was amazing. People that I was tweeting, the relationship, we've never met one another. We met and had coffee together. And it's really staggering. Another young man called in and said, I have given it up. I did the 40 days. I still use my computer. I will check my email, but I'm limited. And he said, instead of spending all of my time on Facebook and being inside on my computer, I joined the garden club and a sailing club. Now, this is wonderful. This is earth-based relationship, sailing, the garden club, growing things. You know, we're, we're, we ha- these are questions we need to really ask ourselves about the very thing that we desire of connection. Is, is this it? Is this how we yeah. get it? Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's the bigger issue. Um, but again, uh, something simple like using a computer that is actually hardwired to a fiber optic cable. Uh, it is more secure. 
It's uh, faster. It's more reliable. So why aren't we doing that? Because we don't want to sit in one place while we use the computer. How many people actually roam around their house with their laptop and work in multiple places? Um, if you're uh, you know, traveling, it's one thing. But even then, uh, things we have infrastructure, especially in this country. We can use a wire. And it eliminates all of this. Um, so if we use it wisely... Uh, we can avoid the downside and still benefit from the technology. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your practice ah. uh, <laughs> and uh, how you care for people and actually what, what your work is about. Okay. Our practice uh, is sort of a multidisciplinary it's an integrative medical practice which means that we try to we have tried to learn as many uh, medical approaches and medical systems uh, that exist on the globe as we can and when we see an individual we try to choose approaches to health that really fit for that individual and their circumstance um, we're apt to use standard medical therapies when they're appropriate to break cycles, but we're uh, always concentrating on using uh, natural medicine approaches because for the long term, they really give more of a baseline of health. So we try to use uh, as many uh, therapies and as many strategies as we can to uh, bring a larger overall uh, picture of health to any one situation. And with, with what we're talking about, the topic of this conversation, uh, we, we do screen people for <clears throat> neurotransmitters because we're seeing um, with this uh, radiation, microwave, uh, et cetera, that a lot of what I was speaking about earlier, the anxiety, the overwhelm, the tendency of, of weeping, depression, um, insomnia, uh, we, when we measure the neurotransmitters, it gives us an idea of what needs to be balanced. And basically, we are seeing um, a decrease uh, in serotonin, melatonin, uh, dopamine, right. um, which is well documented um, to, to be in effect. When people are exposed to this wow. radiation, uh, in fact, the use of serotonin uh, reuptake antidepressant medications has doubled in the U.S. in the last 10 years as this technology and radiation has been perpetuated across the land. Uh, it's a direct uh, correlation. I don't think anyone has studied the cause and effect aspect of it, but uh, it, it is well documented to occur. So we are seeing at least a few times a day people uh, with this uh, clinical picture and assessing their neurotransmitters and their biochemistry, trying to balance it uh, and uh, remove as much exposure as we can uh, in their situations. And uh, they respond readily. 
uh, it takes a very short period of time, two or three weeks, and people uh, report that their initial complaints and symptoms have remarkably reversed. It is, uh, it's not that hard. It just needs to be recognized and approached accordingly. Right. And part of the therapy is uh, acupuncture, which is uh, my specialty. And uh, that's also what we're trying to do is uh, prompt the body to self-regulate. So we do it energetically. We do it with the amino acids. Um, You know, we scan uh, people for a lot of different um, heavy metals, um, milieu balancing, you know, to really just get people back to... Uh, a good centered place. Right. And one of the most important things in the sort of biological medicine approach, uh, which is really, I guess, another way to say what we do, is to foster the body's ability to regulate itself. Mm -hmm. That's what we have found, that this type of uh, radiofrequency radiation affects the nerve membranes uh, in a way that disallows the body's normal uh, mechanisms of compensation and response to things. The body's regulation is sort of directly disabled by this uh, radiation. And that's one of the reasons acupuncture works so well, we think, is because it's so focused on increasing the body's uh, regulatory capacity. It really is, uh, that is the bottom line in health. If a person can regulate, they can pull out of any situation. But if that regulation is disabled too much for too long, uh, things start to complex and go in the wrong direction. Yeah. Do you see that um, abuse and violence in childhood can deregulate the neurotransmitters of a child or an adolescent or an adult and um, uh, make the hormonal system haywire and can you help with that problem? Well, yeah, it's, uh, yes, the... The brain develops in different ways at different stages in childhood, and if there is uh, an adverse influence, uh, such as violence, uh, at a certain stage, the brain's development will be altered at that stage. And as it leaves that stage of development, it, it doesn't necessarily go back and correct what it missed at that point. And we do see that uh, trauma early in life does dysregulate neurotransmitter patterns. Um, and repatterning them or giving, them, mm-hmm. giving the brain what it needs to increase those neurotransmitters uh, helps a person right away, but it also allows them to develop different behaviors. And it's the development of the new behavior and perception while they're taking those treatments that actually sustains it in the future. Most people who take uh, natural remedies or pharmaceuticals to alter their neurotransmitters 
after 18 months, a few years, if they have developed behavioral adaptations that they lost earlier, Mm -hmm. no longer need those medicines. Mm -hmm. They can drop the medicine, and it's the behavior that feeds back and sustains those patterns. So that's one of the things that uh, we're very firm on. We treat people uh, in this regard, but we insist that they engage in cognitive therapy and behavioral therapy at the same time because then that allows them to grow and no longer need the uh, coping st- exactly right. and need right. the uh, medication uh, that allowed the change to take place yeah absolutely um, this is fairly easily accessible these days it's not widely utilized um even I did not test people's neurotransmitters uh, in the urine for a long time because I was so focused on the brain uh, being from a neurochemistry background. And uh, until one day I realized that life is a full-body experience. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, it's more than just the brain. Uh, and the way we assess neurotransmitters in the urine is really a f- a reflection of the full body's neurotransmitter status. There's more serotonin in our intestines than there is in our brains. And, mm-hmm. and who doesn't have some intestinal complaint? Uh, it's remarkable. Yeah. So we have started to utilize this, and it has been very helpful yeah. and almost directly helpful for most people who we have noted abnormalities in. Yeah. yeah, and and this is a range from um, fairly young people all, oh, yeah. all the way up adolescents, yeah, adolescents, other physicians. Um, it's it's this has been oh, quite yeah. a <laughs> quite a journey in um, you know which it's crisis and opportunity. You know, for us it was a crisis. Um, oh my goodness, we we have to leave our you know beautiful center that took us. Um, four years, three years to complete, and uh, it was a lot to let go of, and there was the crisis. But the opportunity is to uh, becomes the the understanding, and that what we are experiencing, people have been experiencing for quite some time all over the world. And gratefully, um, this has led us to become more knowledgeable and to treat ourselves and to really be 99% better. Um, still sensitive uh, when we come and have possible. the intense exposure, uh, such as a conference and in a city. Exactly. Uh, but we, you know, we know we will get better um, with decreased exposure um, when we head yeah. out. We'll go home, and uh, within a day or two, we'll be back to uh, our normal perceptual uh, function. Um, yeah, we've been called. Uh, cell tower refugees by our local <laughs> media. Um, I'm not sure I'd consider us refugees, but in a way, yes, because we uh, now recognize that we can only tolerate a certain amount of exposure before it actually does change our perception and physiologic function. Right. Yeah. So I have a tricky question for you. Uh, do you only treat people 
who have the money to pay your fees? Great question. That's a great question. I don't think we've ever uh, ever not treated anyone who has come and uh, sought help. Uh, we receive reimbursement in a lot of different ways, uh, and it is uh, it's usually. Uh, a little more involved, but quite often fulfilling. The, when we, when someone doesn't have the money, um, they're willing to do and contribute in other ways, for sure. And that that's the important thing because relationship is very important to us. Primary in in what we do and with our patients, professionally and personally. And when somebody, there's a big difference of entitlement when somebody will come and expect that they should be treated by, by paying us less or not by paying us versus a person who comes in and will talk about that prior to the visit. Now that's relationship. I'm unable to afford your fees. This is what I can do for you. Could I pay you X amount every month? So when there's reciprocity, when there's communication, when there's connection, I will use that word again, eye to eye, face to face. And so, yes, so we, those are the, that's a match for us. Exactly. And it really is based on reciprocity. Right. If, uh, if that feeling of uh, reciprocal relationship is there, there's, we don't question it at all. And that becomes the payment. But the, yeah, exactly. Right. But those, uh, those individuals that have all the means to pay, but uh, we feel that there isn't a reciprocal uh, common goal and a desire to work together, uh, those are the patients that we tend to distance. <laughs> yes. Perhaps the greatest sicknesses of our time are entitlement yes. and arrogance. Right. And yes, arrogance. Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Arrogant entitlement. Is, uh, <laughs> <there you go. laughs> yeah. And complacency goes along with that. Complacency, yes. let's not forget. Yes. <laughs> Three wooden horses of the apocalypse. <laughs> um, I'd like you to ask you both, um, is there anything you would like to say in closing? Um, well, I would like to thank you for your interest, uh, actually, in this topic. It's really uh, in its infancy. It has captured the imagination of humans uh, and still lacks uh, incredibly an understanding of what comes along with uh, wireless technology and it is advancing rapidly mm -hmm. uh, and again uh, we really think that if we understand things well we can guide the development of technology to be safer and just as effective uh, and that's where we need to go if, we're, if we consider the health effects of this technology, the, it can evolve to a point where it is safe enough to use and still achieve our goals. All right. And to be sensible. Be sensible about uh, the use of this because this is 
the next secondhand smoke. Oh yeah. And um, we we need to just be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. How long did we hear smoking was okay for was you? Fabulous. Right. Right. It's the same story. One more thing I'd like to add. Yes. Protect the children. Mm-hmm. Children have far more uh, sensitivity to these effects than uh, adults. If it's, if someone uses a cellular phone to their head, which shouldn't be done anyway, prior to the age of 20, their, their chance of developing brain cancer is four times what it would be if they started to use a cell phone after that age. So it's keep wireless out of schools, protect the children, give them a chance to develop normally. Excellent. Thank you so much, both of you. I wish people could see your faces. (laughs) Both very beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for saying.